So Galatians chapter 1 and verses 6 through uh, 10. So let's, uh, let's read together. It says this. I, Paul, this is Paul writing, of course. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, uh, let him be accursed. If we said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of, of Christ. That's really a nutshell what's going on with all these crazy religions. Not yep. religions. Yeah, we'll see that. We'll talk about this as we, as we move forward to today. So today's, today's passage is pretty simple. And the underlying premise of it is this. There is only one gospel. Um, now the text that we're going to cover today doesn't define what that gospel is. Uh, Paul is going to do that in the rest of Galatians so our focus today, our lesson today, will not be on the content of the gospel, but on the importance of the, uh, of the gospel. Now, we mentioned a couple weeks ago that this letter to the Galatians was written probably 15 to 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. So not, not very much time. I used to think 30 years is a long time. How many of y'all think that's a long time anymore? It's not really, is it? Not near as much as I used to think. It, already, though, in this short time, I mean, let's say at the most 30 years have gone by. In this short time, what we're seeing is the gospel is already being corrupted or distorted uh, within the churches. And that's one of the reasons that I chose to go through Galatians. Because I think Galatians is just as prevalent today uh, as it was 2,000 years ago. The same issues that we have today, they were already having in the churches uh, 2,000 years ago. So I think it's, it's very applicable uh, to today. Now, so we're, we're, we're not yet 30 years into Christianity and already the gospel's being distorted. Now, why do you think that would be happening so quickly? Why would the gospel be distorted so quickly in church history? Well, they were so rooted in Judaism. Okay. They were so rooted in their routines, it was hard to grasp the holy concept. Okay, so they were already rooted in Judaism, so it was kind of natural to fall back into that. What else? What else could be could be behind this? What could be the... the, the, the is, there, is there a... To stop the spread of it. Huh? To stop the spread. To stop the spread of it, of course. But who's trying to stop the spread of it? Okay. Satan. That's exactly right. I mean, it shouldn't... It, it would make perfect sense. Remember what Paul, uh, Paul says in the book of Romans... I'm not ashamed for the, of the gospel for what? It is the power of God for salvation. If people get saved, they get saved because of the gospel. The gospel has to be preached in order for people to be saved. And so it makes perfect sense that Satan would immediately understand that and he would begin to distort the gospel, to change the gospel, to try to keep the, the gospel from being spread in any way, shape, or form that he could do that. So that makes, that makes perfect sense. Now... The, the implications for our day in this text are incredibly important. We live in a what's called a pluralistic world, and we covered this uh, back when we went through the book of John. Pluralism 
And, and by the way, the world today is awash in pluralism. Uh, pluralism is a worldview which states that no religion has all the truth. You've heard this if you read newspapers or magazines or listen to the news. Basically, there are people out there, in fact, a lot of people, that believe that all religions lead to God. That if you're just sincere, if you're just sincere, even if you believe something totally opposite of what Jesus taught, as long as you're sincere, one day you're going to die and God's going to pat you on the back and say, it's okay, you were sincere. It doesn't matter that you rejected my son. It doesn't matter that you didn't believe the gospel. It doesn't matter that you didn't put your faith. It's okay. It's going to be all right. Come on in. I mean, this is all over the place right now. And so uh, you, I put that co Everybody see those coexist bumpers? If you ever see a coexist bumper sticker, that's a, that's a plur that person believes in pluralism. Everybody's okay. We're all going to get saved uh, one day because God loves us and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, I want to be really clear to you guys today, as I always am and as Paul is, there is no other gospel. There is no other way to get saved. There are other religions besides Christianity, and there are other religious leaders besides Jesus Christ, but there is no other gospel. There is no other way to go to heaven. There is no other way to be made right with God. Uh, Acts 4.12 puts it this way, There is salvation in no one else. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not anybody. Jesus Christ is the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. There is one gospel, one way to get one good news, one way to get right with God, and this is, this is it. Um, one of the things that's going to make this study so powerful is that it deals with a counterfeit gospel. You see, it's really, it's really easy to recognize the majority of false religions. Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Islam. Those are easy to recognize as false religion because they don't recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Islam says Jesus was a prophet, but they don't recognize Him as the Son of God. So it's really easy to say those are false, false religions. Okay? That, that's, that's not hard at all. But what about religions that come along that are a lot closer to the real thing? What we, you know, what was being peddled here in the Church of Galatia, uh, the churches of Galatia, wasn't some religion from a foreign country. It was a, it was a, a very, it was a counterfeit gospel. Uh, you know, the, the reason counterfeit money, you know, if you take out monopoly money, it's pretty easy to see it's not real, right? But counterfeit money, they make it as close to the real thing as they possibly can, and that's what counterfeit religions do. They make it as close to Christianity as they possibly can. But there's always something missing, and we'll talk about that. Uh, and that's what was being peddled to the churches of Galatia. It wasn't some, some foreign mystic religion. It was something very close to the, to the real thing. Um, and again, a, a counterfeit at first glance looks real. You have to really look at it hard. You have to study it. Uh, to examine it closely and you'll find out it, it's worthless. And that's what Paul is saying is that any gospel other than the one he preached is a counterfeit. It's not real and at the end of the day uh, it is, uh, it, it's worthless. And by the way, this was an in-house counterfeit. This wasn't people coming in um, from some, again, some mystic religion. These were people coming in saying we belong to the church. We have the authority of the church. This is, I mean, so this was coming up from in-house, and it was a, it was a different gospel. Um, so one of the things that this study in Galatians is going to do 
for us is define the real gospel. Galatians is going to define what the true gospel uh, really is. So, that if anybody, even from in our church, pops up and starts preaching a different gospel, we'll immediately recognize it for what it is and we'll, we'll say no. So it's as important today as it was back then that we understand what the real gospel is and, and so that we can recognize it. There's also another reason for knowing what the true gospel is, and that is so it will keep us focused on what's really important. Okay, Now, we live in a world that we got a lot of different Christian denominations, right? More than likely, most of you in here have belonged to one or more denominations. How many of you have been in more than one denomination in your life? Okay, probably about half of us have been, I have been in more than one denomination. Yet the fact is, is there are differences, even in Christianity, in fact, there are differences in this room, in fact, there are differences in families that are non-essential. In other words, there are people in this room, even in our families, that we believe a little bit different about the non-essential things. Uh, some people believe in speaking in tongues. Some people don't believe in speaking in tongues. Some people may be Calvinist and believe in predestination. Other people may be Arminian and don't believe in predestination. Some believe, uh, denominations believe in female pastors. Some don't believe in female pastors. Some maybe pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, whatever all those tribs are. Um, some people believe in divine healing. Some people don't believe in divine healing. By the way, those are just a few things from a really, really long list, right? Um, but here's the deal. If someone has recognized himself as a lost sinner and they have put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, that he died for their sins and was resurrected from the dead, and they've repented and turned, and they try to live a life of obedience to him, then the Bible says, according to his word, they're our brothers and sisters, right? They may believe differently about the tribulation. They may believe differently about female pastors. They may, may believe differently about a myriad of things. But the fact is, if they believe those things, the essential things, then they are our brothers and sisters. And as passionate as we might be, about our beliefs, if someone holds to the essential doctrines of the faith, we can, we can have differences of opinion, and that's okay. Okay, that's okay. Um, so, here's the question, and I brought this up, by the way, this was years ago. I went back and grabbed some slides from about five years ago. What are the essential, here's a question we don't ask ourselves very often, what are the essential fundamentals of the faith? What are the essential fundamentals of the, of the faith? This is a, a diagram I put together about five years ago. We, we, I don't know if y'all remember. How many of y'all were here we went through the beliefs? Scooter, you was. We went through a lesson called Beliefs where we looked at beliefs of our beliefs and we looked at beliefs of Catholics and Mormons and, and all kind of different religions. And so what we found out was this. There is a, if, you, if you put all of our beliefs on this screen, inside the circle is something that we call orthodoxy. Now, orthodoxy comes from the Greek, or, or the word orthodox or orthodoxy comes from the Greek word orthodoxus, which means having the right opinion. And it generally means that someone adheres to the accepted or traditional and established faith. You know, you'll say that's an orthodox belief or it's a non-orthodox belief. If it's an orthodox belief, you're basically saying, look, this is what the church has believed for 2,000 years. It's been generally accepted that the church has believed this for 2,000 years. Now, the question is, where do things go? If you start looking at things and trying to pigeonhole them, 
it gets a little bit difficult. So back then, I put up a list of things. So I'll give you the, I'll give you the, uh, the ability to go through these or the option here. So believing in one God, would you say that's orthodox or outside of orthodox? orthodox. That's definitely orthodox, right? So it goes in the circle. What about the resurrection? Orthodox or non-orthodox? Orthodox. So you're saying, if it, so what we're saying here is if somebody doesn't believe in the resurrection, they're, they're outside the norms of Christianity. Would we agree? Yes. Okay. What about the virgin birth? Orthodox. It's orthodox. Been, we've believed that for 2,000 years. If somebody comes along and says, you know, I don't believe in that, you'd say, man, you're outside the, the normal Christianity. What about the deity of Christ? Orthodox. orthodox that's, that's pretty easy. What about the Trinity? One, one, one God in three persons. Orthodox. That's orthodox. What about homosexuality? That it's wrong. Okay. Okay. He says outside. Anybody? I'm going to say that's orthodox. The church has believed for 2,000 years that homosexuality is wrong. It's only in the last 50 years, right, that it's changed. Um, but for the 2,000 years, it's generally, that's a general belief. What about... Um, now here's one. What about the Sabbath? It depends on what you mean. Ah, what see now, see. Okay, so it gets tricky, right? It, by the way, these some of them are easy, some of them are not. I'm going to put the Sabbath outside. By the way, the Bible itself says, "Worship whatever day you want to worship on." We worship on Sunday because this is the day that Jesus rose. He rose on the first day of the week, and so the the early church made a. We worship on Sunday because it's a tradition. It's a tradition. Right? We just do it because it's traditional. Um, but it's, so we could say, if a church came up and said, you know what, we believe Jesus is the Son of God, we believe He died and rose on the third day, we believe in, the, in, in one God, the resurrection, the virgin birth, but we're going we're gonna to worship on Thursday. We'd have to say, well, okay. <laughs> I don't know why you do that, but that's your business, so go ahead. So we'll say that. What about baptism, that you must be baptized? We say it's orthodox. That's a command of Jesus. How about the how of baptism? Okay, that's outside. You know, it's some people sprinkle, some people immerse, some people, but that's okay, right? I mean, we have, by the way, do we believe we should immerse? Yeah. We do, because that's what we do. But would, would I argue, if somebody else believes all these other things, would I say they're not a Christian because they pour water over somebody's head? No. no. No, I don't, wouldn't do that at all. In fact, what if I was out in the what if I was out in the desert or in some land and, I, and somebody got saved and they said, "I want to be baptized right now," and you and all the water you got's in a cup, would you pour it over their head? I would, and be glad to do it. Right? So it's not that's something we can disagree on. What about the rapture? That's outside. Yeah. If you if you hesitate, more than likely it's outside. Right. <laughs> If you hesitate, more than likely it belongs, it belongs outside. Some people believe uh, there's going to be a rapture before the tribulation. Some people believe that it'll be after the tribulation. The fact there's going to be one, that we're all going to be called up to be with him in the air, that's scriptural. When it happens, you know, everybody's got different beliefs. Um, by the way, well, don't, don't say it, Derek. Don't, I can't say that. Okay, gifts of the Spirit. Really? So you're going to throw the Baptist out? Y'all are going to throw the Baptist out? They don't believe in, in the gifts of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. They believe in the fruit of the Spirit. They don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. I'm going to put them outside because I don't want to throw the Baptist out. I got, I got a lot of Baptist brothers that, I, that they, they love the Lord. 
as much as I do. So some of these aren't easy, by the way, right? I'm not asking you, are they scriptural? I'm asking you, orthodoxy. What about smoking? Outside. outside. Way outside. Way outside. What about suicide? Outside. outside. Wait, 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 wait. So, you know, you get to where some of these are easy, some are a little bit harder. But that's the point, right? What's, what, if you think through the process, you come to a point where you have to decide what are, what's essential to the faith. What are, what are orthodox? Now, in today's passage, Paul is going to use some very harsh language. Very harsh language. But he's not speaking, and here's what I want, I'm pointing all this out. He's not speaking of differences that believers might have within the faith. This is not what he's talking about. Okay? Um, he's speaking about a different gospel entirely. Everybody with me? He's not talking about these outside things. He's talking about these, these very, very important things. And in fact, he's talking about a message that will not only not save you, but it will damn you to hell. That's how big a deal this is. So he's going to use some very harsh language. In light of this, and this is my point, we need to be very careful about calling other believers heretics or branding something a different gospel. Is everybody with me? You need to be very careful about that. Keep in mind, preaching or teaching a different gospel is something so extreme that Paul pronounces a curse. He says it is anathema okay, on those who preach it. Basically saying if you preach a different gospel, you are cut off from Christ and you'll spend eternity in hell. That's what he's saying. So we need to be very careful that we don't look at somebody and say they're heretics. Right? Now, by the way, there are times I think that's, that's called for. But don't just use that. Don't just bandy about that very casually because not all differences resolve or revolve around uh, the gospel itself. Now, let's go a little bit deeper. What is the one true gospel? What, what, what does someone have to believe to be saved? You see, the fact is, if we go back within orthodoxy, we can drill down even further and say, what are the essentials of salvation? What do you have to know and believe in order to be saved? That gets trickier, right? For example, the resurrection. I'll give you two, just to be just. Do you need to believe in the resurrection to be saved? Yes. Give me back me up. Give me a scripture to back yourself up on that. Romans 10.9, what does it say? Repent. Somebody? He's close. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth, Jesus. Romans 10.9 is all you got to do. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believing in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You must believe in the resurrection in order to be saved. Have to. That's what the Bible says. What about the Trinity? Do you have to believe in the Trinity to be saved? No. Not at all. You're telling me somebody walks off the street today and comes into church? And Pastor Henry preaches on salvation and they believe in Jesus Christ and they walk down and get saved. They don't even know what the word Trinity means. Everybody with me? They don't have to believe that to be saved. Now, will they come to believe that once they've been taught? Absolutely they will. But you don't have to believe that to be saved. It's, it's not the essentials of the gospel. Everybody with me? See, most of the time we don't even think through these things. 
But, but what Galatians is going to do is it's going to help us with this. It's going to force us to think about what are the essentials of the gospel? What, what does it take for somebody to, to know and believe in order to be saved? So we're going to drill down even further. What is the one true gospel? So that we know that, therefore if something is different, if somebody tries to add to that or take away from that, we'll immediately know it. And that's what Galatians is going gonna, is gonna to do for us. So, now you may say, well, th- wh- why do we need to be so discerning? Well, if you know me, you'll know this. For, for me, doctoral <coughs> maturity, understanding the Word of God, is not a luxury. Too many Christians go through this. They're not in Bible studies. They're not studying their Bible. They're, they're reading their daily devotion out of a sense of duty, and they're just... Like I said last week, I did that for years, and at the end of the day, you asked me what I read, I ain't got no clue. I just did it I did it to check off my checklist. But we're not studying the Bible, but I've come to the point where I understand that doctrinal maturity, understanding the Word of God, is not a luxury, it's a necessity. A.W. Tozer said this, The healthy soul, like the healthy blood system, has its proper proportion of white and red blood cells. The red cells are like faith. They carry life-giving oxygen to every part of the body. The white cells are like discernment. They pounce upon dead and toxic matter and carry it out to the drain. In the healthy heart, there must be provision for keeping dead and poisonous matter out of the life stream. Within the church, we got to have people in the church that when we see things come in that are not right, we've got to have people that are mature enough that can pounce upon that and get it out of it. Okay, get it out of the church. It doesn't belong here. It's, it's cancerous. It's toxic. It'll kill us if we let it stay. So we've got to have men and women who are mature enough to recognize these things when they pop up. And by the way, this different gospel in Galatians was springing up where? In the church. It wasn't outside. It was inside the church. And if it can spring up in the church, then we have to make it our aim to be rigorous and discriminating in our doctrinal knowledge so that we can recognize it, attack it, and remove it from our body. 1 Corinthians 14.20 Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking, but be, be infants and evil, but in your thinking, be mature, be grown up. You know, um, at the same time, let's keep in mind, Christians, true Christians can agree on the gospel, yet we can still disagree on non-essential aspects of the faith. So, Galatians is one of the best books in the Bible for helping us refine and clarify exactly what is contained within the one true gospel, which cannot be replaced or altered. That's one of the reasons I'm excited um, about this study. So let's summarize what we talked about so far. The underlying truth of today's passage is there is no other gospel. There's only one gospel. Uh, Pluralism, this belief in multiple religions and multiple ways to heaven, is wrong. There's not many roads to heaven. In fact, Jesus said it this way. There are two roads, by the way. One road is is really wide, and there's a whole lot of people on it. And the other road is really narrow, and there is what? How many is on it? A few. And I can tell you, the wide road looks really good, and everybody's on I mean, let's face it. If, we, if, we, if you're going somewhere and you get two options, and there's a whole bunch of people on one road, and it's wide, and there's boulevards, and it's landscaped and paved and really nice. And over here, you know, there's a little rocky trail that looks kind of, kind of, you know, and some of the people on it don't look that good either. 
right? I mean, you're, we, our natural inclination is to join with everybody on that broad road, aren't we? Um, it, it's not so, in fact, in fact, I, I've said this often, the, the narrow road is not something you choose for yourself. God chooses it for you. He opens your eyes to say, dude, that may, to the natural mind, the man, that looks good. This is the way you need to go. He tells you that, right? So anyway, um, there are not many roads to heaven. And again, rigorous attention and faithfulness to doctrine, especially the gospel, is crucial in the life of the church. Now, let's go back to our passage. There are three statements which today in our passage, which are very crucial for us to hear and believe. Because, by the way, nothing has changed between then and now. I've said it a million times. Human nature is human nature. We think we've got all this education and all this technology. We must be different types of people than, than people that live 2,000. We're not any different. We're, we're, human beings are exactly the same. There's nothing new under the sun. The first is that it is astonishing when someone turns away from the gospel. We'll see that in verses 6 through 7. The second thing we'll see is that if a person rejects the gospel, they stand under God's curse, whether they're an angel or whether they're an apostle. We'll see that in verses 8 and 9. And the third statement is that the servant of the gospel seeks to please God alone and not men. Now, let's, look at, let's go, go back to our verses. Look at verses 6 through 7. Paul says, I am astonished. That word in the Greek means I am shocked. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So Paul says he's astonished that these would, they would turn away to, from the true gospel to a different gospel. Now, here's a question. Why would Paul be so shocked? Now, I want you to think about this a little bit different this morning, so I'm going to ask kind of an odd question. If you heard next week, let's say the news came out next week that I had cheated on Kathy. Everybody see Kathy? Stand up, Kathy. That's my wife. Hello. So let's say next week you, you heard the news that I had cheated on her. Would you be shocked? Yes. Okay, why would you be shocked? Unexpected behavior. Okay, that's not the answer I'm looking for. That's, a, that's the answer I expected, but it's not the answer I'm looking for. You, but I told Kathy this the other day. We heard something, and I said, you know, I hate to say this. I honestly, this is a terrible thing to say, but I'm afraid I'm past being shocked anymore. How many of y'all have thought that lately? You just, you, you see somebody. See, you, we, you, first of all, you say you'd be shocked because it's unexpected behavior. But let's face it, you don't really know me. Do you? You're not home with me every day. You don't, you don't, I come in here on Sunday morning, you see me preach every once in a while over here, you may see me Wednesday night, you might see me at 8 or something during the week, wherever the case, but you don't really know me, right? You don't know what I'm watching on TV, you don't know what I look at on the computer, you don't know what kind of books I read, you don't know what's in my, you don't really know me, do you? You don't. But yet, see, we, we, we gather these opinions of people just by these little snippets that we see them. And that's not, and so we're shocked, right, when they, when they fall off the wagon, so to speak. But, but we really, over the years, we've all, if you're like me, you've kind of, you've seen so many things happen. That after a while, you're just like, I just can't be, I just can't be shocked anymore. You know, and that's terrible. I hate that. I really do. We, we should be shocked when something like that's happened. But that really wasn't the answer I'm looking for. Wouldn't there be a degree, though, of what you do and what your reputation 
there, 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 there is, and that's why we're shocked, right? Yeah. But I want you to know something. Notice something about Paul. Well, Paul also kind of, I mean, he referred to his his churches, his children. Yeah. He raised them. He yeah. planted the seed in them. So that's he, right. He knew where their faith was, what their beliefs were, and he saw the transformation. So, 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 so notice in the verse though that Paul doesn't say, "I'm shocked. I, I know you." I know how strong your faith is. I know what kind of men and women you are. He didn't say that at all, did he? See, there's another reason you should be shocked. Not because of me, but because of her. See, if you know her, you would be shocked what kind of idiot would leave that for that. You understand what I'm saying? If you know her, and you know her character, and you know how great she is, You'd be shocked, not because I'm anything special, because what kind of moron would do that? Right? See, watch what Paul says. I am shocked, not because you're great men and women. I'm shocked, not because you're mature in the faith. I'm shocked because you're deserting Him. You see that? You're leaving Him. That's what shocks Him, not people. I don't think Paul could be shocked by people. He understood what we are. He understood the kind of mistakes that we make. He understands it. What shocked him was their deserting God. See, that's what he goes on to say. In fact, he gives two reasons. First, he's shocked because they're turning away from God Himself. He says, you're deserting who? Him. See, I'm astonished that. They're not just turning from a teaching, a theology, a doctrine, an idea. They're deserting a person. And not just any person, Right? The problem was not that the Galatians were abandoning one theological ideology for another theological ideology. Not that they were abandoning an orthodox system for a heretical system. No, Paul says you're deserting God Himself. When you turn from the Gospel, you're deserting the most valuable, the most beautiful, the most glorious, majestic person in the world. For what? See, that's what shocked him. It wasn't them. It was what they were doing. Now, the good news here is, if you go back and look at the Greek, the tense of the verb that, that Paul uses, it says that it doesn't mean they've already done it. It means they're in the process of doing it. So it's not too late for them. Yeah, that's good news. He's not saying you've already done it. You are deserting. You are doing it. So the idea here is that it's not too late. You can turn back. You can turn away from this. And we expect that they will. Um, but the fact is that there is some good news there. So here, the deal is this. We shouldn't ever fall prey to the notion that doctrine is impersonal, especially when it comes to the gospel. That we're just studying some words and we've got to adhere to the words. The gospel is all about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we desert the gospel, we're deserting Jesus Christ. We're not deserting words on a page or thoughts in our mind. We're deserting a, a person. And, 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 and so, again, if you reject that call, if you reject that gospel, you're turning away from God Himself. And Paul says, I'm astonished, I'm shocked that you, would, that you would do that. The second reason, Paul says, he's shocked, is that you're turning away from grace. Look what he said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ. He is stunned that he has come to these churches and he's presented them this gospel of free grace, free forgiveness. All you have to do, you don't have to work for it. 
You don't have to earn it. You don't have to merit it. You don't have to desert it. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. And he cannot believe that they would turn away from that message to something that says they have to work for it. He just cannot believe they would do that. Paul, at this point, when he hears the news, Paul's probably back in Antioch, um, which is kind of his home base where he wrote, probably wrote this letter. And you can imagine him just listening. Somebody comes to him and says, man, i got to tell you what's happening in the churches. They're, we got some guys coming in and they're telling them they got to be circumcised, telling them they got to they obey the feast and the festivals and the laws. And Paul's like, I mean, I can just see him. He can't believe that they would do that. Because to them, he had come in and gave them the best news in the whole world that God offers you full and free forgiveness and they would turn away from that to another message. He cannot believe that. What, what kind of idiots are these people that they would, that they would do that? Um, so when Paul makes it clear that they are deserting God for a gospel that really is no gospel at all. Um, by the word, the word gospel means what? It means good news. He says, you're, you're deserting another good news. And then he goes on to say, not that there is any other good news, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the good news of Christ. Um, so again, he, he's saying, I can't believe that, you are, that you're doing this. So what Paul wants us to see is that the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ allows for no additions and no subtractions. When we find out what this true gospel is, you cannot modify it in any way, shape, or form. If you do, you turn it into something completely different. It's no longer good news. In fact, at, at this point, it just becomes the bad news of religious bondage. If you try to add to the gospel, you have completely uh, distorted it. Um, by the way, the Greek word for distort here, it, it's, not, it's not the word that just has a, the idea is a subtle change. It literally is the idea of turning something into its opposite. For example, uh, turning uh, um, the sun into darkness or turning laughter into mourning. When you distort the gospel, you turn it into some, you turn good news into bad news, <coughs> into something that it completely um, isn't. So again, this is a, it's a very strong word here uh, that Paul uses, and he finds it intolerable that anybody would do that. John 14, 6, we brought this up a while ago. Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Any, that is, that's the gospel, or it's part of the gospel. There's more to it, of course. But the fact is, any attempt to change that, to twist it, to turn it, to, to alter it, to modify it, changes it from good news to bad news. To distort the gospel is to destroy the gospel. To annotate the gospel is to annihilate it. To modify it is to mutilate it. To amend it is to eliminate it. To revise it is to reject it. You, you cannot change the gospel. Paul wants them to see that in as strong a words as he possibly can. Now, if you turn away from that gospel, if you reject that gospel, then Paul says the curse of God uh, is on you. Look what he says in verses 8 through 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary or different to the one that we preached to you before, let him be accursed. That word there is anathema. As we've said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him or her be um, accursed. Paul was so convinced that the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ was the exclusive good news of how men could be saved 
that no matter who advocates anything else, even if an he says if an angel from heaven was to come down in this room today and appear before us and preach a gospel different than what Paul says I gave you, Paul said don't believe him. And he said that angel himself would be a curse. By the way, do we have an example in modern times where someone said an angel from heaven came down and gave them another gospel? The Mormons. Exactly right. That's what the Mormons, the angel Moroni, came to Joseph Smith and gave him a gospel. And he should have immediately said, oh, Galatians 1, 8 and 9, even if an angel, but he didn't. And now millions upon millions of people are relying on a different gospel because they didn't, they didn't understand the first one. They didn't know what they didn't know what Galatians said. You see why it's so important that we understand this? I think Islam too, didn't Muhammad say that an angel talked to him and told him he was the last prophet? I think so. Yeah. So it 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 you know, again, this is a big deal that listen, times are coming. Pastor Henry's preached about it the last few weeks with the Antichrist. It says the Antichrist, and we've talked about this, the Antichrist is gonna do signs and wonders that are unbelievable. He's probably going to raise people from the dead. He's going to do crazy things. And if you, if you aren't grounded in this book, the Bible says if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. If it were possible. It's not possible for the elect to be deceived. But if you're not grounded in this book and you're not elect, you will, you will think, man, this is the greatest thing ever. I mean, we have to know the Word of God. Listen, the Gospel first and foremost, is Jesus Christ. You don't take anything away from... You take anything or add anything to His work and His life and His death, um, you've distorted the gospel. There are, it needs no additions or modifications. Martin Luther said this, that which does not teach Christ is not apostolic, even if Peter and Paul were the teachers. On the other hand, that which does teach Christ is apostolic, even if Judas, Annas, Pilate, or Herod should propound it. Listen, Paul would have agreed with Luther. For he says, even if, look what Paul said, even if I come back in 10 years and say, oh guys, I got a new gospel, don't believe me. He said, even if I come back and I try to add something to it, don't believe me. Don't let, don't, it's all about the gospel, not about the person that's delivering it. It's about the gospel. Do not let anybody or anyone uh, change that. In fact, Paul goes on to include Michael and Gabriel and the angels of heaven. He said, if any of them come and try to give you a different gospel, don't believe them. They're cursed. So he, I mean, you, you see the kind of language he's using? He's going above, he's going way out on a limb to say it's the message that's important, not the person. You shouldn't, if I come in here next week and I, and I come in here and I, you may trust me and you may have trusted me for seven years or nine years as long as you've been in this class. And I come in here next week and I tell you something that's wrong, you better know it and you better reject it. It's not about me. It's got nothing to do with me. Okay? It's about the message. It's about staying true to the Word of God. You stay true to the Word. Sunday school teachers will come and go. Pastors will come and go. Apostles come and go. But this Word of God doesn't change. It remains. You stay true to the, uh, to the Word of God. Again, the word that Paul uses is anathema. It means accursed. By the way, 1 Corinthians 16, 22, Paul says this, For I could wish that I myself were accursed. There's that word anathema 
and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That word anathema literally means that you are cut off from Christ for eternity. I mean, that is as strong a word as you could possibly use. When you are anathema, there's no going back. You are cursed and cut off from Christ for, for eternity. Look, this is how he describes it in 1 Thessalonians 5.9. This is the evidence of... This is people who are anathema. He's describing him. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. You don't want to be anathema in no way, shape, or form. Okay, That's the language that He's using. So let's be very careful that we don't call somebody anathema or accursed. Be very careful you, when, when you do that. Um, so again, I want to go on down. So again, what we're talking about here, when we talk about staying true to the gospel, don't understand not only is it our eternal destiny that's important here but it's also other people's eternal destiny and it all comes down to the one true gospel um, we have to be more like Paul you and I um, when, when controversy arose in Paul's day Paul, Paul let me tell you what he would do anybody want to know what he would do he would just wade right into it he didn't sit back and say well you know just teach his own whatever no, man, Paul would wade right up into it. Um, see, to Paul, he understood that the gospel is the point at which the life of God meets the sinfulness of man. And the gospel is that point where those two come together. And that's why it's so important. You get the right gospel, then men can be reconciled to God. You get the wrong gospel, they have no chance of being reconciled to God. So it comes down the gospel, the gospel, uh, the gospel. Um, and by the way, I know we don't like to think about heaven. We don't like to think about hell and accursedness and wrath and judgment and all of that. Um, but I got to tell you, and we're all like this. Satan is out there today, and he's doing his best with television and, and social media and movies and all of these things. He's trying to create us in us a mind that is so trivial and so banal and so petty and so earthly that we find ourselves incapable of thinking about the deep things of God. I'm telling you, we get so pressed down with all these little, minute, piddly, good-for-nothing details of life that we, we, we can't grasp some of the larger aspects um, of eternity. Maybe we've heard through our lives about hell and wrath and torment so much that it's lost its shock. Um, but I put this in here. We need to hear that the way a child hears his first peal of thunder or feels his first earthquake or, or suffers his first storm. You know, when you get a kid, you know, our, our little granddaughter, they hear that first thing they're, you know, they're, in their eyes. I saw something on YouTube the other day. Somebody sent me these kids going through tunnels. If you ever, you need to see that. You, they got these kids in car seats and they go through tunnels and as soon as they go through the tunnel, their eyes just go, bang. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> they're just shocked. Man, we need to be shocked like that when we talk about hail. We need to be shocked like that. We need to understand, man, there is, this is a big deal. Something incredibly important um, is at stake here. Number three, Paul says in verse 10, kind of, kind of an odd statement. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of, of Christ. Here's the thing. Let's face it. If you and I walk out of here today 
and you go back into your workplace and you begin to talk to people tomorrow about hell and damnation and being accursed and a different gospel, guess what you're gonna what what kind of reaction do you think you're gonna get? It, it ain't gonna be a good one. Man, she, she's a radical. She's crazy. She's you're gonna get that right. Um, listen, Paul knows that. He understands that what he just said about being accursed and cut off from Christ is not something those churches are going to want to hear. He knows that. He, he understands that. So what Paul does in verse 10 is he gives an account of why he's willing to talk this way. He said, I know, I know you don't want to hear that, right? Um, but he says, I'm, I'm broaching this subject with you because pleasing you is much lower on my list than pleasing God. He didn't, by the way, he, you know, sometimes you see things... That looks like an odd statement when you first read it, right? He's talking about the one true gospel, and then he says, who am I, a servant of man? See, what he's doing, he's saying, I know you don't want to hear what I'm saying about being accursed, but he says, I, I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please God, and I have to say the things that need to be, that need to be said. Now, by the way, you may think this is self-evident that, that there really no is reason to say that, that I'm here to please God and not man, Right? By the way, have you ever met people who they're just not out to please people at all? Have you ever met somebody that care less what people think about them and they're just constantly yakking their mouth and saying things they shouldn't say and they could care less what you think, think about them? Do you, are those people likable? They're not very likable, are they? I don't like those kind of people at all. Um, listen, Paul was never out. Paul was not one of those people. He was just not one of those people that would just say, listen, God, I don't care what you think. I'm here to please God, and I'll say whatever I want to say. He wasn't like that at all. He was never out to alienate people. In fact, Paul went so far as to say that whether you eat or you drink, we should endeavor not to offend others. 1 Corinthians 10, 31-32. He said this, Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Gentiles or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that I may be saved. In fact, Paul's his when he went through life, he, he specifically tried not to offend people. He went out of his way not to alienate people. Why? Because he wanted to win them to Christ. So that was first and foremost when he, he went throughout uh, life. In his letter to the Romans, Paul says this, Romans 15, 2, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to edify him, for Christ did not please himself. And I want you to understand, Paul, by the way, it takes wisdom to know this. Paul is saying that it's a good thing to please people and not offend or alienate them. Everybody with me? Provided that pleasing them is a means to their salvation and their edification in God's glory. Okay? Let me say that again. You should go through your life trying to please people trying to, to, to not offend people because your goal is to win them to Christ, provided, again, that pleasing them is a means of giving glory to God, that pleasing them is a means of winning them to the gospel. As long as that's what you're trying to accomplish, then by all means, do that. Okay, But foundational to a person's salvation and their edification is the one true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, that cannot be changed or diminished in any way even if not diminishing it offends somebody. Does everybody see what I'm saying? When it comes to the gospel, sometimes you're going to offend. In fact, Paul says, if I didn't preach the cross of Christ, I wouldn't be offending anybody. 
the gospel itself is going to offend people. And that's just the way it is. What he's talking about is things outside the gospel. Maybe the way you dress. Maybe what you put on your body. Maybe what you listen to. Paul says, even what you eat or drink. I'll gladly not eat that as long as it won't offend somebody and I can get a chance to witness to them and tell them the one true gospel. I'll gladly not wear that, even though I'm free to wear it. I'll gladly not do that as long as it won't offend somebody and I'll get a chance. Everybody see the difference here? But when it comes to the gospel, that goal goes out the window. You don't change the gospel. See, what we've had, what we've got is people who are changing the gospel in order not to offend, making the gospel more palatable making the gospel more user-friendly. And Paul said, don't ever do that. The gospel is the gospel. So it really becomes a question for us whether, when to offend, when not to offend. And by the way, uh, you, you need wisdom uh, to know that. Um, Jesus at times stood up and said, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you bunch of hypocrites. You know, on the outside you look real nice and pretty and clean. On the inside you're full of trash and dirt and dead people's remains, Right? But then other times he stood up and said, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered to you like a hen does her chicks. I mean, some, you know, sometimes he was harsh and sometimes he was, takes a lot of wisdom to know when to say certain things and when, when not to. Colossians 4, 6 puts it this way, Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer. Sometimes we offend when we shouldn't offend. Sometimes we don't offend when we should we back off the gospel when we should be delivering the gospel. It takes a lot of wisdom and boldness to know when to do um, those two things. One final implication of verse 10. Paul says this, and I want you to understand this. For each of us, the absoluteness of Christ's lordship should be incredibly liberating. You know how, how many of y'all would say you're a people pleaser? Well, be honest. How many people are people? I'm a people, I am, I'm one of those people. We, we tend to be people pleasers. Do you know how liberating it is to get to be able to live a life where you've only got to please one person instead of 20 or 30 or 40? Do you know how freeing that is to just, I got one person I've got to please? I'm telling you, that is incredibly um, liberating. When Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, you got one person you got to please. Should I, I mean, you can ask these questions. Should I go to this movie? Should I read this book? Should I make this purchase or take this job or go on this date or marry this person? You got one person you got to please, and that's Jesus. I mean, that's freeing, if nothing else, to know that there's one person that should be pleased with every decision. Um, some, by the way, sometimes pleasing Him will please others. Sometimes pleasing Him will offend others. That's what Paul's saying. Who am I? Who am I? He, he said, "Why am I saying these things? Because I live my life to please Jesus Christ." So I've got to speak the truth, even if it offends you. Um, but the deep joy of a single-minded life is, is worth it all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Galatians 1. Uh, we